Letter sixteen of Clarissa Harlowe, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlowe, Volume four by Samuel Richardson. Letter sixteen. Mr. Lovelace to John Belford, Esquire, Wednesday, May third. When I have already taken pains to acquaint thee in full, with regard to my views, designs, and resolutions, with regard to this admirable woman, it is very extraordinary that thou shouldst vapour as thou dost in her behalf, when I have made no trial, no attempt, and yet givest it as thy opinion in a former letter, that advantage may be taken of the situation she is in, and that she may be overcome. Most of thy reflections— particularly that which respects the difference as to the joys to be given by the virtuous and libertine of her sex, are fitter to come in as after-reflections than as antecedencies. I own with thee, and with the poet, that sweet are the joys that come with willingness. But is it to be expected that a woman of education and a lover of forms will yield before she is attacked? And have I so much as summoned this to surrender? I doubt not, but I shall meet with difficulty." I must therefore make my first effort by surprise. There may possibly be some cruelty necessary, but there may be consent in struggle, there may be yielding in resistance. But the first conflict over, whether the following may not be weaker and weaker till willingness ensue, is the point to be tried. I will illustrate what I have said by the simile of a bird new caught. We begin, when boys, with birds, and when grown up, go on to women, and both perhaps in turn experience our sportive cruelty. Hast thou not observed the charming gradations by which the ensnared volatile has been brought to bear with its new condition? How, at first, refusing all sustenance, it beats and bruises itself against its wires, till it makes its gay plumage fly about, and overspread its well-secured cage. Now it gets out its head, sticking only at its beautiful shoulders. Then, with difficulty, drawing back its head, it gasps for breath and erectly perched, with meditating eyes, first surveys, and then attempts, its wired canopy. As it gets its pretty head and sides, bites the wires, and pecks at the fingers of its delighted tamer. Till at last, finding its efforts ineffectual, quite tired and breathless, it lays itself down, and pants at the bottom of the cage, seeming to bemoan its cruel fate and forfeited liberty. And after a few days, it struggles to escape still diminishing, as it finds it to no purpose to attempt it, its new habitation becomes familiar, and it hops about from perch to perch, resumes its wonted cheerfulness, and every day sings a song to amuse itself and reward its keeper. Now let me tell thee that I have known a bird actually starve itself and die with grief at its being caught and caged, but never did I meet with a woman who was so silly. Yet have I heard the dear souls most vehemently threaten their own lives on such an occasion. But it is saying nothing in a woman's favour— if we do not allow her to have more sense than a bird, and yet we must all own that it is more difficult to catch a bird than a lady. To pursue the comparison, if the disappointment of the captivated lady be very great, she will threaten, indeed, as I said. She will even refuse her sustenance for some time, especially if you entreat her much, and she thinks she gives you concern by her refusal. But then the stomach of the dear sullen one will soon return. Tis pretty to see how she comes to by degrees, Pressed by appetite, she will first steal, perhaps, a weeping morsel by herself, then be brought to piddle and sigh, and sigh and piddle before you, now and then, if her viands be unsavoury, swallowing with them a relishing tear or two, then she comes to eat and drink, to oblige you, 
then resolves to live for your sake. Her exclamations will in the next place be turned into blandishments, her vehement upbraidings into gentle murmuring, how dare you, traitor, into how could you, dearest. She will draw you to her instead of pushing you from her. No longer with unsheathed claws will she resist you, but like a pretty playful wanton kitten with gentle paws and concealed talons, tap your cheek and with intermingled smiles and tears and caresses implore your consideration for her and your constancy all the favour she then has to ask of you and this is the time were it given to man to confine himself to one object to be happier every day than another now belford were i to go no further than i have gone with my beloved miss harlowe how shall i know the difference between her and another bird to let her fly now what a pretty jest would that be how do i know except i try whether she may not be brought to sing me a fine song and to be as well contented as i brought other birds to be and very shy ones too but now let us reflect a little upon the confounded partiality of us human creatures i can give two or three familiar and if they were not familiar they would be shocking instances of the cruelty both of men and women with respect to other creatures perhaps as worthy as at least more innocent than themselves by my soul jack there is more of the savage on human nature than we are commonly aware of nor is it after all so much amiss that we sometimes avenge the more innocent animals upon our own species to particulars how usual a thing is it for women as well as men without the least remorse to ensnare to cage and torment and even with burning knitting-needles to put out the eyes of the poor feathered songster thou seest i have not yet done with birds which however in proportion to its bulk has more life than themselves for a bird is all soul and of consequence has as much feeling as the human creature when at the same time if an honest fellow by the gentlest persuasion and the softest arts has the good luck to prevail upon a mewed-up lady to countenance her own escape and she consents to break cage and be set a-flying into the all-cheering air of liberty mercy on us what an outcry is generally raised against him just like what you and i once saw raised in a paltry village near chelmsford after a poor hungry fox who watching his opportunity had seized by the neck and shouldered a sleek feathered goose at what time we beheld the whole vicinage of boys and girls old men and old women all the furrows and wrinkles of the latter filled up with malice for the time the old men armed with prongs pitchforks clubs and cat-sticks the old women with mops brooms fire shovels tongs and pokers and the younger fry with dirt stones and brickbats gathering as they ran like a snowball in pursuit of the wind outstripping prowler all the mongrel curs of the circumjacencies yelp 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 at their heels completing the horrid chorus rememberest thou not this scene surely thou must my imagination inflamed by a tender sympathy for the danger of the adventurous marauder represents it to my eye as if it were but yesterday and dost thou not recollect how generously glad we were as if our own case that honest reynard by the help of a lucky style over which both old and young tumbled upon one another and a winding course escaped their brutal fury and flying cat-sticks and how in fancy we followed him to his undiscovered retreat and imagined we beheld the intrepid thief enjoying his dear earned purchase with a delight proportioned to his past danger i once made a charming little savage severely repent the delight she took in seeing her tabby favourite make cruel sport with a pretty sleek bead-eyed mouse before she devoured it egad my love said i to myself as i sat meditating the scene i am determined to lie in wait for a fit opportunity to try how thou wilt like to be tossed over my head and be caught again how thou wilt like to be parted from me and pulled to me 
yet will I rather give life than take it away, as this barbarous quadruped has at last done by her prey. And after all was over between my girl and me, I reminded her of the incident to which my resolution was owing. Nor had I at another time any mercy upon the daughter of an old epicure, who had taught the girl without the least remorse to roast lobsters alive, to cause a poor pig to be whipped to death, to scrape carp the contrary way of the scales, making them leap in the stew-pan, and dressing them in their own blood for sauce, and this for luxury's sake, and to provoke an appetite, which I had without stimulation in my way, and that I can tell thee a very ravenous one. Many more instances of the like nature could I give, were I to leave nothing to thyself, to shew that the best take the same liberties, and perhaps worse, with some sort of creatures that we take with others. All creatures still, and creatures too, as I have observed above, replete with strong life and sensible feeling. If therefore people pretend to mercy, let mercy go through all their actions. I have heard somewhere that a merciful man is merciful to his beast. So much at present for those parts of thy letter, in which thou urgest to me motives of compassion for the lady. But I guess at thy principal motive in this thy earnestness in behalf of this charming creature. I know that thou correspondest with Lord M., who is impatient, and has long been desirous to see me shackled, and thou wantest to make a merit with the uncle, with a view to one of his nieces. But knowest thou not that my consent will be wanting to complete thy wishes? And what a commendation will it be of thee to such a girl as Charlotte, when I shall acquaint her with the affront thou puttest upon the whole sex by asking, whether I think my reward, when I have subdued the most charming woman in the world, will be equal to my trouble? Which, thinkest thou, will a woman of spirit soonest forgive? the undervaluing varlet who can put such a question, or him who prefers the pursuit and conquest of a fine woman to all the joys of life? Have I not known even a virtuous woman, as she would be thought, vow everlasting antipathy to a man who gave out that she was too old for him to attempt? And did not Essex's personal reflection on Queen Elizabeth, that she was old and crooked, contribute more to his ruin than his treason? But another word or two, as to thy objection relating to my trouble and reward— does not the keen fox-hunter endanger his neck and his bones in pursuit of a vermin which, when killed, is neither fit food for men nor dogs? Do not the hunters of the noble game value the venison less than the sport? Why, then, should I be reflected upon, and the sex affronted, for my patience and perseverance in the most noble of all chases, and for not being a poacher in love, as thy question be made to imply? Learn of thy master for the future— to treat more respectfully a sex that yields us our principal diversions and delights. Proceed anon. End of letter 16